This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing this morning? I am uh, I'm tuned in, dialed in, coming off, what, last night's 34-7 win for LSU. Uh, you and I will do a bit of a quick reaction today, and then we'll get Billy on Monday and go for uh, the full gauntlet of it once we get to hear from Ed Orgeron, uh, what, Monday around noon. So this one will be a short one, but uh, like I said, everyone who's listening uh, can catch the full uh, entire breakdown of the game from the entire crew, I should say, uh, on Monday. But let's kick it off with you. Uh, where should we begin as LSU you wanna, the one and one? Do you want to start positive or negative? That's really just up to you. Let's start po- well, let's start negatives. Okay. Start negatives. Okay. Um, I mean, negative for, for me, I mean, it's basically offense and defense. So offensively, uh, there is a lot to pick apart with this offense. And I think a lot of it starts with the offensive line. As we know, Cam Wire, Austin Deculus. Um, I believe Jason Hines was also out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he didn't play. Yeah. yeah, him and Bradford didn't play. Yeah, so, I mean, you had a lot of players out on the offensive line, but still going against an FCS team in McNeese State, we expected the offensive line to look a lot better than it did. And for me, it was uh, drastically just underwhelming, and it resulted in a run game that was far too inconsistent and a pass game that just still – was lackluster to me so that that's my main takeaway from the offense in a general sense and I just left that game with a lot more questions than I had answers yeah I think if we're judging the mood of the fan base right now right like if we're speaking to them and how are they feeling this morning you left that game thinking on offense at least and and that's where we'll dial in here this is an FCS opponent that lost to a D2 school last week and isn't really that great of an FCS opponent. And they had guys going down left and right all game. I'm not familiar with their depth chart, but they had to also be working on some second and third stringers at some point because seemingly every play a guy was going down. But when you look at the overall picture for me, Matt, it's one, the run game, as you noted. And Coach O said after the game, it all comes down to protection, whether that's with the pass game and Max not having enough time whether that's with the run game and it just not developing to this stage, whatever it is, it comes down to protection. And I get it. They had a bunch of backup offensive linemen in there. Guys like Xavier Hill are making their first ever start at left tackle. Um, but I still think that there comes a point where as a unit, you want to be able to push around a team like McNeese, whether that's your first team or second team or whom, whomever it might be. And we didn't see a ton of that as a collective group. Now, look, they'll go dive through the film. That's on the coaches they can pick out who played poorly on the offensive line, who might have uh, done the best. But I do think that you circle back around to looking at the offense as a whole now after two weeks, right, and say it's very clear that Ed Orgeron, as an LSU, have hired an offensive coordinator who's green. Jake Peets is calling his first two games of his life. After week one, he gets you know, ridiculed not just publicly by fans, but even Coach O said this is not how 
I wanted the game to flow. And you got into the second game. You and I were sitting there in the press box, obviously watching it live, but we also had the broadcast pulled up so that, you know, it's 15 seconds, 20 seconds behind. So we kind of see everything again there for the second time. And so many times in the broadcast, we're getting to see what the fans are seeing. And Coach O is screaming, like, let's go, like, faster, more tempo, more tempo. And it just continues, this check-with-me offense that ultimately, I don't even know how much the defense is even reacting to. It's LSU getting out there, reading the defense, changing the play. And you're, once again, like it was against UCLA, getting down to six, five, four, three seconds before they're getting off a snap. And by that point, the defense is just teeing off on you. And I think that that was one thing that even when they would get, you know, move the ball, get a big chunk play, whatever it might be, they would just sit there and take another 40 seconds between setting the ball so and hiking weird. it. And I didn't understand it. I mean, you're allowing the defense to make substitutions. You're not keeping any sort of tempo into your offensive game plan. And I think after a couple of weeks, that's really stood out to me. And, and because Orgeron even said after last week and then all game screaming, tempo, tempo, tempo. And then after the game, both at halftime and after the game, he mentions the tempo. So I would have to think that he's riding Jake Beats hard this week in terms of figuring out ahead of Central Michigan, how do we make this offense more crisp by simply moving quicker, more quickly? Uh, I think that will be a key for him. I just don't – I don't know long-term, and we'll see. Look, it's only been a couple of games, but how do they fix these O-line issues? Because if it's really all coming down to protection. They don't have any continuity on the O-line because guys have been banged up, as O said. All in camp, Matt, is what he said. That I'm not shocked that the O-line looked like that against UCLA because so many guys were out all of camp that – they haven't found that continuity yet. Well, they weren't there this weekend. They, who knows if they're getting held out next weekend. You're about to enter SEC play, doing a bit of mixing matching on the O-line, but haven't found any group that's really, you know, you've pointed and, and hung your hat on and said, man, we look great today. That was that was a dominant showing. And with no run game, it's scary for me. I'm, I'm interested yeah. to see how this next few weeks go because UCLA, good team. McNeese, not a very good team at all. And they were still popping off one, two, negative one, zero yard run plays. Yeah, I love the I love the run the the charting you did of the run plays throughout the game because it was just extremely evident to anyone who looked at that. And um, I think you put in your uh, takeaways. Uh, yeah, quick well, takeaways. I think maybe like three or four runs that went for more than like six yards, and a handful of them were by the true freshmen. I think that people also leave that yep. game again. It's McNeese. I don't want to overreact to the opponent. But I think most people did look and say, man, the coaches talked up these two freshmen, Kiner and Goodwin, all offseason, that they, they've got some promise. They want to play them. Well, if John Emery's not academically eligible and Tyra Davis-Price isn't running like you're used to seeing him running, yeah. there's no reason not to try out these guys if they're giving you a little something. Yeah, and one last thing about the offensive line for me is it's not like this offensive line is – showing a lot of whether it's talent or consistency and just unable to, you know, or they have a lot of penalties or anything like that. They're not committing penalties, really. That's two games we've been through, and they have not committed many penalties. So it's not like this is a unit that can get a lot better technically, I feel like. I feel like this unit is what it is at the end of the day. And that goes from the starters to even Charles Turner, I mean, the backups, Xavier Hill, whoever you want to – say i mean i feel like this unit just is what it is at the moment and it's i'm not sure how much better they can get because technically i don't think that they are bad but i think the one area that can get better is in is communication and picking up blitzes right that's where mcnee state still 
was able to hit on a few blitzes and LSU's offensive line was just lacking that um, crispness in communication, I guess you could say. Uh, but yeah, the run game, Ty Davis Price continues just to kind of underwhelm me, lack, lack, lack that punch. I think Corey kind of has that punch a little bit more right now. Um, and then we can move into the pass game where I think it was a weird night because if you look statistically, and I have the, the, the stats here, uh, Max Johnson, 18 to 27, 161 yards, three touchdowns, two sacks. He looked fine, but I, I think us getting to see Garrett Nussmeyer in the first play, Garrett Nussmeyer just chunks the ball down the field. We're like, okay, so it's not impossible to throw the ball 40 yards down the field at some point. Like it, 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 You are allowed to do it in this offense at times, but like you said, the Pete's offense just kept – it's like it's trying to roll – and roll and get momentum, but it just never picks it up because every time there's a successful play, the next snap doesn't come for 30 more seconds. And Max Johnson feels like he is playing conservative. It feels like he's not really looking for anything spectacular. Um, he found Keishon Boutte a lot. He found Jack Besh a lot and Jack Besh, which I think was a huge positive from the game because I think he just continues to get better and he's going to be really, really good. But you can just tell after Keishon Butte's second touchdown, that was the lead to my recap. It was just like he was just so annoyed that they weren't able to do anything in the air that he didn't even celebrate after the second touchdown that they went up 24-0. And after the game, he was pissed. He was just he was like, We should have beat these guys 60-0. We shouldn't have been close. And yeah, he's right. He's hundred percent right. And so I I look at this offense just as like what are they going to do in the in the run game, but then also in the pass game, which I think it has to be their bread and butter. If they're not explosive and they're just relying on you know eight five catches for thirty one yards from Keishon Boutte, what is that? Five receptions for thirty one yards. Uh, Cole Taylor four receptions for twenty two yards. We're, looking, we're talking about like five yards of reception here for this offense and a Max Johnson game where he had eighteen yeah eighteen completions for one hundred sixty one yards. I don't I don't know what offense this is, but it's it's not the offense that I think is gonna hold up very well in SEC play. I mean, yeah, you look at that too. And and here's where I think there's some real disconnect between publicly at least, between O and Pete. And and we just talked about O saying he wants tempo, us not seeing tempo. O, you know, saying he really wants to develop the run game and wants all these outside runs, and they brought this variety of runs against McNeese they maybe didn't have against UCLA just didn't work but I think that one thing he said after the first game was and I think Keyshawn had like a hundred and something yards and what three touchdowns the first game and O said we should have gotten it to him earlier we need we should have gotten it to him earlier we need to be forced like basically force feeding him in the first half he's our best player on offense we got to be riding him I think it was 15 plays into the offensive game plan which I'm presuming is scripted to some degree off this first few series was the first time they threw Keishon Butte. And he could be triple coverage by McNeese's defense. He's a five-star and probably going to be the first or second receiver taken out of the, the class that he came out in. He's elite. He will just get open. He showed that when you got down in the red zone. He got you both your touchdowns right out of the gate when you were throwing on the exact same play. That sort of fake the handoff, drag Besh across the line, and they popped it right to Butte both times. So, when they're looking for him, he's going to get open. I think what you said, five catches for 31 yards, 6.2 yards on average per catch. That's not Keishon Butte's type of night. Like, that's ridiculous that he puts up a stat line that looks like that. You should be feeding the ball way more than that. In fact, 
Besh averaged 14.3 yards per catch. Great game, and I'm with you. He needs to be playing a lot more. Right now, you can easily make the case that Butte and Besh look like LSU's best two skill players on offense. Nobody else averaged more than six and a half yards a catch except Trey Palmer. He had three catches for 30 yards. That's 10 yards a catch. But one of them was a 19-yard catch. So I, I hate playing that game. Like, if you take this one play out, then here's where they are. But that's the reality of it is yeah. they weren't explosive with offense against McNeese. Like, what, what are you going to do when you're having to play from behind against SEC teams, when you're actually playing good defenses? And does it then look more like week one against UCLA, where you're sort of punt, 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 and, and can't really ever get any rhythm? I know that week one brought a lot of concerns, and again, it's McNeese. So there may be some fool's gold into this defensive performance, but they did what they were supposed to do. The offense didn't, and I think that's probably why there's some frustration this morning that after a couple of weeks, it looks like the offense might be the bigger issue than the defense. Yeah, that I mean, you said you segued into the defense. I think we'll just go there um, because the offense is. I, I'm I'm done talking about the offense at this point. <laughs> um, the defense did its job. I mean, the defense held McNeese State uh, McNeese State scoreless for three and a half quarters. They did give up the big touch, uh, forty yard touchdown screen pass at the end there. Um, I'm not taking too much. Out of that, uh, out of that performance because of one touchdown, especially being that late, I thought they did a good job against Cody Orgeron. I thought they did a good job against the run for the most part. I mean, they did get beat on gashed on a couple plays that you don't like to see. But I mean, if if we're grading this on a scale of one to ten, I think it was a nine from defense. I thought the defense played about as well as you can ask for, and the defense line, which we knew was going to be a good unit coming in, didn't show a ton against UCLA at least, again, did their job. That's all you can ask against McNeese State. We're not going to leave this saying, while the defense line is now back, they're going to dominate every game they play in. No, but they did their job, and that's more than, than the offense can say, and that's more than you know even some of the defensive players can say. Yeah, and, and look, I think that, again, um, it's almost like we have to preface it each time. It's McNeese. It's an FCS team. <laughs> I get it. But people would be freaking out today if that game had they had guys running wide open and popped a few and it was 17 to seven at half or 17 to yeah. 10 at half instead of 17, nothing people would have been wanting to burn it down. What is going on here? You can't stop McNeese on D. Are you kidding? Instead, it was quite the opposite. You almost felt bad at some point for the McNeese O-Lion for Cody Orgeron. By the time they hiked it, they had Mason Smith, Jaquelin Roy, you know, BJ Jalari, Andre Anthony, all those guys in the backfield, they were blitzing Cam Lewis from the safety spot. He was getting in the backfield a good bit. You saw the linebackers play a bit better. Buck Strong had a nice game. We finally got to see some Mike Jones Jr. He can walk and run around. I mean, I don't understand why he wouldn't have played the week prior, but we'll forgive it as long as he's going to play some moving forward. Uh, but he's clearly a cover guy. The linebackers struggled a bit in coverage, obviously, in week one. So maybe he gives you something there. Um, Stingley and Ricks aren't getting tested in a game like that. They're just going to lock their guy down. I think they had a couple of penalties on one drive that extended it back to back penalties, actually, but it wasn't not like that was some huge deal at that point in the game. Uh, I thought overall it was a, I'd give it a nine, too. And, and I guess you could say a 10, but they did give up that one at the end. It's the third team. I, I kind of thought there was a few, even watching it live and then going back and, and reading the thread and, and seeing the reactions from people. It looked like, I don't want to call it a pity touchdown, but a couple of guys might have been holding on that play, and you're down to the final minutes, and the rest are kind of like uh, Cody Orgeron let it go. And uh, good for them. Um, but I think that 
look, at least, and, and I'll say this, and, and we're talking about some positives of defense too, they didn't have anyone get hurt that I know of last night either. And, and that's key, right? Like you didn't want to get out of that game and be like, and a couple of our best players got banged up and may not be playing in the next few weeks. Like what was even the point? There, there were no positives to glean at that stage. Instead, they stayed healthy. Uh, I thought the defense looked good. But again, we'll just we'll figure out what happens on the, this offensive side, um, and we'll hear more about it from Orchard on this week. But I do also, I guess, if we're doing positives right after defense, we got to give a shout out to the man Cade York, who broke his own record in the game, set the Tiger Stadium longest field goal record with what I think a 55 yarder, mm-hmm. and then kicked a 56 yarder on the next play or, or later in the game yeah. at some point. And obviously, last year he walked off the Florida at the swamp in the fog with a 57 yarder. So now he owns three, all three, of the longest field goals in LSU history, whether it's at home or away. It doesn't matter. This kid is the absolute real deal. And people on our board were screaming, why is LSU taking a kicker? This class has so many bigger needs. It's because Cade York's going to go pro after his junior year. I also think he's about to line up and graduate in three years. So he's got to figure it out on both sides. But you'll watch him. And today it's 11 o'clock in the morning here in BR. So in an hour, the NFL games will start. You'll see kickers who are worse than Cade York starting yeah. on NFL teams this weekend. So this kid is a no doubt play on Sunday type of guy. Ball just explodes off his. I mean, like it's not like he's. They're like, man, can you kick a fifty-five yarder and it like bounces off the bottom of the goalpost and goes in? He's like kicking it in the stands from fifty-five away. Crushing. So he's if they can get themselves into some tight games this year, like we saw Florida a year ago. He's the kind of guy that can win it for you. Hadn't been put in that spot yet, but I think this year maybe we see a time or two where he's going to have to kick some big, big kicks. And, uh, and boy, in year three, he looks dialed in. Yeah, ho- hopefully the offense can help him out, put put some points on the board. Uh, because, yeah, Cade York seems to be the most uh, consistent weapon <laughs> LSU has this year, sim- similar to last year. Wait, I, I know we said this is our shorter pod. We're already near in 20 minutes. But I do need to ask you, we'll get your reaction because you're new into the LSU beat. And the LSU theme is that the most popular player on campus is the backup quarterback. That's how it's always been for like, no matter what, who it is, I want to see him. He's probably better than who we got. Yep. Where do you weigh in on the best three for 10 showing maybe that you'll ever see? And I, I say that kind of laughing, but I'm not because he did put balls on the money and went downfield. They were just like Brian Thomas dropped two balls. Dre Jenkins dropped one that went right into his gut that would have been a, a touchdown. But it's McNeese. It's the fourth quarter. They're worn down. Where are you weighing in on this debate of would, Nuss? Not necessarily Nuss versus Max, but Nuss is like this guy right now that you have to be playing. Nuss mania. Nuss mania. That's what, that's what we'll call it. You were hyping uh, it up. That I, I was on the board. I, 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 t- I went right on the board. And I, uh, it was after which I don't remember which throw it was. It was his first completion, or no, it was the throw down the sideline, the very first play. And I was like, that was a perfect throw. I typed in in all caps. And then two, a play, two plays later, I typed in uh, something like, "He uh, is. Are we watching Aaron Rodgers?" I was yeah, like, Heisman. No, this man is just. He, he's he's a natural. He's a natural thrower. And I coming into the season, I don't know if I said this or typed this. I think I might type this somewhere. Uh, in one of our stories, but basically I said that I thought Garrett Nussmeyer was just as talented as Max Johnson, if not more talented coming into the season, just because of, you know, high out of high school, I've, I saw what he did in high school and I really thought he had the ability to play early on. 
but I understand why you would start Max Johnson. And I completely probably would have done the same thing because of the experience, because of what he showed last year in the two games, you know, he's has that moxie about him, I guess, or he has that um, confidence, I guess, from last year. But to me, you could make an easy argument that Max Johnson's a more talented player. And last night, I think it showed everybody that he's the more naturally talented player. I'm not going to say he definitely is a more talented player, but naturally he just has a lot more gifts than, um, than Max does. I think he's a little more confident uh, and comfortable rolling out on the pocket. I think he's more confident uh, in his arm and trusts his abilities a little bit more, which we saw on a couple of really tough throws that he made. I, don't know if they should start him or not, but when I asked y'all the question in that round table last week, how safe is Max's job? The reason I asked it is because in my head, and I gave it a seven, y'all gave it nines, um, because I just thought Garrett Nussmeyer was more talented. So I was like, you know, if they reach a point where Max can't develop and can't get better, they might just go with Max because he's more talented. And, uh, or at least more naturally talented. So it's an interesting situation. And I, I, I really think it's going to be a quarterback. It's going to, the quarterback position is going to be something to monitor moving forward, especially if back struggles against central Michigan, if, if that's the case, yeah, then, right. then I think we're going to be taught. It'll be, it'll become a topic at that point, especially yeah, no doubt. lack think- of explosive plays that, that the offense has, you just have to get something going at some point. Yeah. And, and you're curious to see, because we don't know this kind of stuff is how much you're, does the playbook or whatever change moving from Max to Nuss, right? And and we also, I think the, the biggest question, obviously, is, well, the coaches get paid a lot of money. Um, you can bang on a play calls or their tempo or whatever they think, but they know something. And I would, I'm curious what the gap is, because look, I've always been a big Max Johnson fan too. I, I'm curious what the gap is, because this is what it has to be of Max knows how to read a defense or, set up the O-line or run checks or whatever it might be, how far behind is nuts and all of that part of the game, like the mental aspect of the game? Because I don't think anybody's doubting, doubting that nuts has a live arm. You can just watch and see it. And the coaches talked about it all offseason. The players talked about it. And all of them sort of said there'll be a day where nuts is a really great quarterback. I'm presuming that that's not today. But how far is that gap in terms of, what Max is able to do and protect the football and your offense running versus maybe where Nuss is right now. Like it, it, if Nuss was out there versus UCLA, would it have looked worse? Would he have been throwing picks and being ill-advised? And look, I get it. Teal might be saying Max threw a ball behind his head at one point in the game. <clears throat> but I, it's something I'm curious to see because I think you're starting Max for a reason. He's, And I don't think it's just because you know, he won two games last year. I think that plays a part in it. But as a year older, he's definitely a cerebral kid. You know for yeah. a fact almost that being the son of a quarterback, his brother is a big-time football player, he sort of bleeds the game. And knowledge, I think his knowledge of the game is probably up there as one of the strongest attributes of why you would have him out there. Um, I'm curious to see how the season goes. And perhaps it, it depends on these was of, if you play well against Central Michigan, if you lose an SEC game or two, and you, ha- as you noted, you, you just have to find a spark in the offense. You need to do something different. Well, quite often that means switching up the quarterback spot. So I'm still in the camp. Like, I think Max starts next week. But are we going to start to see Nussmeyer at some point get reps that are more meaningful than a fourth quarter reps against McNeese's second and third string defense that you're already 
I mean, I mean, these couldn't move the ball on offense more than five yards. So you weren't ever going to lose that game at that point. Doesn't matter what Nuss does. Let him go in there and sling it. Uh, and we saw it. Look, there were, one, I think, one play. I think Nuss is cognizant, too, that people want to see this offense throw it downfield. There was one play. I know you made the DN miss, rolled right, was kind of just buying time. He could have run and probably picked up the first down. But instead, he just sat there because I almost felt like he was like, I yeah. want to show people my arm. Like, I'm trying to make a play right here for in, in the passing game. Um, I like his moxie. I like all that. I'm just a bit curious to how far away is he in terms of being completely settled in, not swallowed up by the moment, because uh, fourth quarter against McNeese is just much different than playing a full game versus a team that's actually good. Yep. Yep. I think it's Max Johnson's job at the moment. Um, but at some point, you have to show me something. So we'll see how all that goes. Um, it was a fun first game for me at Tiger Stadium, getting to experience all that. So uh, shout out to everybody who showed up. And uh, I mean, damn, the student section was packed in there. It looked it like was. so many people. But yeah, it was a lot uh, of fun. Will, Go ahead. I will say I'm so used to sitting, and I told you this when I get there every game, Billy and I, for the past couple of years, sat together, and everyone knows Billy's an SMU grad. And he just sits there and watches SMU on his second screen while we're watching the LSU game. Lo and behold, Matthew's first game, he's a North Texas grad. They're playing SMU. So he's sitting there watching North Texas and SMU. So yep. I think for someone who could, I don't want to curse, who could care less about SMU football, <laughs> I have watched so much SMU football over the past few years because of Billy sitting there watching it, talking about it okay. yesterday, the North Texas game. But now I'll shift. I'm I'm on the UNT side now. There we go. So let's go. I'll go be watching green. those. I'm done with SMU uh, unless they play again. But we got that one out of the way early. Yep. Go me green. Get that out the and way. And Billy beat you. Yes. Yes. Billy. Billy beat us. Billy beat us again. That's all right. GMG. Oh. Well. All right. We'll wrap it up there. We'll wrap up the uh, initial takeaways. I'm not gonna say instant takeaways because we were able to sleep on it. So have a little bit more clarity than if we did this at like midnight last night. But um, thank you all for joining us. Uh, subscribe to our um, subscribe on Apple. Subscribe on uh, on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at, at go to go two four seven. Check out all of our content. Become a VIP and interact with us on the board. Shay does a great job with the guy with the live game threads. Uh, check out our other podcasts as well. Like I said, Shay and Billy will be on podcast on Tuesday, and then uh, I'll be on, back on the podcast on Thursday. I'm not sure whether Billy, Sunny, whoever. Uh, to preview the Central Michigan game. So check all that out, and thanks for joining us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.